0: Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture. We believe that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Today's episode is brought to you by Thomas Nelson Publishers and my new book, Rewire Your Heart. Replace Desire for Sin with Desire for God, and that's coming out wherever books are sold October 30th, and it's available for pre-order from your favorite outlet today. So visit rewireyourheartbook.com for all the details. Let's jump in. Well, hey there. Welcome to Spoken Gospel Podcast. I'm David Bowden. I'm Seth Stewart. And we're really glad to have you with us today. We are in Exodus 19 today. We uh, just finished up with uh, Jethro's uh, Leadership Counseling Seminar, which we learned is not a leadership counseling seminar. It could be. (laughs) I'd go to that. I'd go to it. (laughs) As long as John C. Maxwell is on the docket too, like yes. you know, it's they're ubiquitous. So they have to always go together. It's like if there's a leadership seminar, Maxwell's got to be there, and Jethro's got to be preached, and Jethro's got to be preached. You gotta, you got. It's a classic leadership text. No, but uh, if you missed that one, I would, I would encourage you to go back. I think
1: I think that was it, my favorite one we done. It was.
0: I think it's because it surprised me how cool it was. <laughs> I was not expecting to see that much uh, in it. I think we both thought it was going to be like a ten minute like mini episode, and it turned into a full thing. So yeah, that was but today.
1: Fun. We get to go into the Covenant God makes with Israel. Yes, one of covenant. the most Third. central.
0: Yeah, it depends on how you're counting the <laughs> yeah. covenants. This is one of the most central moments in the whole Bible. Um, it's also like one of the big climax moments. It's not the climax. We'll see that the climax of Exodus comes when God actually comes into the tabernacle. Like that's the whole point. Right. Is God dwelling with His people. And the real. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll yeah. get there. Yeah. Yeah. got <laughs> <yeah, laughs> yeah. okay, <Yeah>. excited. <laughs> okay, back up. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but today God does come onto Mount Sinai and uh, makes this covenant with his people. So uh, it and not not a ton of stuff happens. So it won't well, say, why
1: don't we define covenant oh, before gosh. we
0: start? You, yeah, you want to do that?
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Like, this is one of those Christian words that everybody uses that yeah. nobody defines. Sure. It would probably be helpful. So there's this guy named Ray Dillard that I found his quote super helpful. And he said a covenant is essentially about relationships, and mm-hmm. a relationship or the best relationships always have law and love in it. So you can think about a marriage. Like right. A marriage has law and love in it. You have this these binding, solemn promises where both parties are promising to do something and set, and set expectations for the other. But it's also more than law. also more than binding promises. It's deeply personal and relational. So it's not just a business partnership, which would be like law without love. Sure. And it's not just a friendship, which is generally like love without law. Okay. The, but it's actually this binding, the binding law-like nature of it makes the intimacy of the relationship more intense, mm. and then the love relationships makes the business part of this part of the covenant far more intense as well. So it's this deeply personal, deeply binding. Right. That God enters into into w- into with right. humanity with people.
0: So, like, I mean, so marriage is probably the clearest picture we have of that. The clearest right? picture. It's, lo- it's, it's love. We we, we we fell in love. We got married. But it's but in- at at the, at the end of the mushy ceremony, we have to go out back with the minister and sign a contract, <laughs> a marriage <laughs> right. a marriage uh, and
1: certificate. We kind of society accept like just knows that. Those two By, things belong together. Like law and love belong yeah. together, and so we, what we have here in the text is law and love mm-hmm. coming together in our relationship with God.
0: Right, and then, um, and, and so I want I want to make an observation about that and say and affirm it, and then I also want to push back on it a little bit. So my affirmation is: I think this is it's good to see it in this marriage way, the covenant in, in, as a marriage. God constantly throughout the rest of Scripture refers to Israel as His bride. And he is this wounded lover in Jeremiah who's, his bride left him in the wilderness and all this kind of stuff. So I think that's a responsible leap to take. I think the other thing we want to make a note about um, here when we talk about covenants is that um, a covenant was also a really um, common practice in the ancient Near East when this was happening. Um, and a, what, what some of these covenants would look like is that you'd have a conquering army come in and take over a city and decimate and rule and like he would take over and then that lord would make a covenant with the new city that he's taken over and so um and and the more
1: powerful person would say here are the terms of living at peace yes with me
0: that's exactly right and so as long as you do these things we're going to be okay. I'll let you live in the land. I will build roads for you. You know, I'll be your king. You will be my people, that kind of thing. Uh, And so that's kind of what God has done here as well. He has not decimated Israel. He's saved Israel by decimating Egypt, and he's rescued them and brought them out. That's why it's already a play on these ancient Near Eastern covenant contracts. And they actually
1: followed a very specific pattern where the more powerful Lord, the invading Lord, whatever, he would say, here's what I've done for you already. Right. He would then make stipulations, here's what your responsibility is, and then he would make promises. And
0: and curses. And curses. And you actually see that
1: here in uh, Exodus. So in verse 4, God recounts what he did for Israel. In verse 5, he says, and here's what you will do in response. You will, verse 5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and he call he says you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nations and he says moses go tell this to other people and then he makes and so those are the stipulations and then yep. immediately followed by the promises
0: right and actually here we don't have curses no not yet not yet no they they come later uh but they don't even come in exodus uh the curses don't until uh, deuteronomy Until deuteronomy you do have some of the uh um, if, if you do, if you do this, let them be stoned or stuff like that. Um, but the word curse isn't quite as uh, common until we get to Deuteronomy. Um, I, I want to, before we push forward in the narrative, I want to stop and look at, um, some of these things that you just read. I think, um, starting off with God reminding Israel what he's done for them before he commands them things to do. <laughs> right? right? He says, "I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, right? Therefore do these things." God's covenant that he makes is preconditioned on the saving act that he did towards Israel, right? And I think this is so common to how God operates through scripture, right? He saves before he sends. You know, he calls before he commands. Um it's just always how he works. And we see this really clearly in Jesus because like Jesus doesn't come to us and say, do this, and then I'll save you, right? He says, I have saved you. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Love me. Right, love me. (laughs) Yeah, Except in the gospel, it's, I'm the Lord your God who died on a cross to save you. Now love me and obey my commands. Um, And so God always comes and does the work first, right? He always comes and saves first. And based on that huge saving event, he then says, love me, follow me, obey me. Um,
1: One of the most common ways which we misunderstand Christianity is that in we must first behave or do a certain moral action right. or get our lives together before God will love us and yeah. before God will accept us but that's not the case. No. God actually saves us first mm-hmm. and then because he saved us and out of out of love and gratitude we respond in obedience. Yeah. That's that's I was like I was trying to think of a, like a way to like describe this yeah. <laughs> like like put it in like other words and so like In order, I said it, so I wrote it down this way, and you're just going to hear it. So I think many of us hear and think that in order to eat your cake and to be saved, in order to eat your cake, you need to buy all the ingredients, bake the cake, frost it yourself, and then present it to the Lord. If he thinks it's good, he'll allow you to eat it. But what God is actually saying in these covenants, and by placing all his faithfulness first, he's saying, in order to enjoy the cake, all you need to do is love sugar. (laughs) Like, do you, do you want salvation? Mm. Love the one who brings salvation. Right.
0: Um, well, I mean, and that's kind of assuming on um, at least one thing that God, God is saying, like, you know, I've saved you. Now, if you want to be in this covenant, enjoy this relationship, or in your metaphor, if you want to eat this cake, what's the condition? And a lot of us then, like you said, would go into, well, I got to buy the flour and I got to buy the sugar and I got to bake it. And I got to frost it. I got to do all the work. I have to obey all these laws that are about to come out of it what you're saying is there's actually an affection under all this you're saying that no really it, no one has to be like uh you know here's this cake you know work for it it's like no you just eat it because you love sugar and so what you're saying is that when god comes and saves us and says love me be my people obey my commands that you're saying obedience and enjoying god are the same thing yes okay because um that's not a common leap a lot of us take whenever we read i'm sure whenever a lot of people are going to go through and read you know Exodus 21 and on when they start reading all these really intense laws they're not thinking oh these are all the ways that i effectively love god you know and no. and enjoy him
1: but i think the easiest way like think about the ministry of jesus what we have here is the establishment of the law mm-hmm. and what did jesus say was the summation of the entire law oh that's good like love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength mm-hmm. and love your neighbor as yourself this yeah. is what the whole law is wow so even here when he's saying obey me Really, it's love me. It has to be love It me. has to be love it has to Jesus be to has interpreted in yeah. what the law is for us, and he said it is a law of love.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool.
1: So here's a the question then. Okay. If God begins the covenant by already saving his people, mm-hmm. and the precondition to experience the blessings of God is love for God and obedience— I also know a little bit further down the story. Like they, the before the co- this covenant is even ratified and made concrete, they disobey. Right. They make the golden calf. They make the golden yeah. calf, and then in Exodus thirty-four, God makes the covenant again, even though they broke the terms of the half-made covenant. <laughs> right. So, so this is a question. And then and then Moses says, like, the "Lord is merciful and gracious, and abounding in steadfast love." So is the is the covenant actually conditional mm. on the obedience of the people, or is it not? yes <laughs> it
0: is so um god is not tongue-in-cheek here so i think i think it's yes to both i think it's conditional and unconditional at so at the same time at the same time because if it wasn't i think god would be being duplicitous in a sense uh he'd be kind of like like i said tongue-in-cheek kind of like kind of joking like I like just obey me and you know the covenant will go well wink wink you know I, right. kn- I know it's not but I think that God is deathly and I mean that ser- you know deathly serious about um, the the conditions of this covenant uh, we see that death de- dealt out uh, to 3,000 people after the golden calf um, we see it here that if you come up on the mountain and you're not consecrated or called you will die and so it is conditional that this is a covenant that God takes seriously, and if you don't obey it perfectly, then you cannot dwell with God. You cannot. Yet, like you said, you've pointed out, but God seems to continually hold up his end of the covenant unconditionally. Right. And by unconditional, I mean not conditioned upon the people's obedience. Yeah. Right? Uh, and so...
1: I'm also having flashbacks
0: like the covenant with
1: Abraham. Yes. Where he walks by himself. That's through- right. Through those animals as it's like I'm the one who's responsible for both party, both sides of the covenant.
0: That's right. And and so I think that we have to see what we have to see here is a forerunner to Christ, right? That, that God is saying and an example an exampling here that even though mankind is 100% responsible for their actions, they must obey God. They will fail. Even though all that is true, the covenant will be broken. They cannot hold up their end of the bargain from the beginning, God has demonstrated and shown that he will unconditionally uphold both ends of the bargain.
1: And the only way he can do that is in Christ. So if you're an Old Testament Jew living under the Old Covenant, you are actually feeling like all this dramatic tension all the time, aren't you? Right, Because you're like, God said he'd be faithful to his promises if I obey, but we've consistently not obeyed, but he's still faithful. Why? On what? Basic, what ground is he so faithful if we've been disobedient? So like as a Jewish person, you're probably living with this, if you're like listening mm-hmm. to your history, you're probably living with this consistent sense of anxiety that like, is God finally going to give up because we failed? Or is he going to keep being this way? Like, yeah. I think you I think you see
0: multiple ways that people work through that tension throughout the Bible. And so you see it in like Jeremiah 7, people become lackadaisical about it. And they just—they—they—they <laughs> just—they they just, they just presume upon God's unconditional love of them. Yeah. So they—they uh, they go out and they murder people and they use false scales uh, in their marketplace and they do all this terrible thing, all these terrible things. Um. And then they come into the temple of God, and they and they say, "Oh well, this is the temple of the Lord. Uh, he he has to love us. He has to stay here because he promised he would." And God always keeps his promises. Don't you remember Exodus? And so you see this like presumptive people kind yeah. of coming out of this. But then you also have like moments like uh, in the Psalms, whenever you have like David completely overwhelmed with the the chesed, the steadfast love of God or his covenant love. Like when you see steadfast love in your Bible, it's usually chesed, which is covenant love, which is what we're talking about right here. And David constantly is overwhelmed with the fact that even though it seems like Everything is bad and God has turned his back and God has stopped listening and God is punishing him Even though all this is true at the end of all the psalms, you know, what you most commonly see is but the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Right. Like you will remain faithful. So I think you see people I,
1: experiencing it two different ways. And I think, I was thinking about like Isaiah one, you have the other side of it. It's like, <laughs> it's only conditional, conditioned upon our practices and beliefs. And Isaiah says, no, I hate you in God. Like Isaiah speaking for God says, I hate your festivals. Right. I hate your harvests. I hate like your celebration. I hate your Sabbaths." Right. he says because, like, you're, Yeah. you're not doing it from the
0: heart. Right, he desired mercy, not sacrifice.
1: And I think we should probably, stop right there because i'm immediately thinking like these are the same two ditches we fall in today yeah you have the more liberal side of christianity that will say like it doesn't matter how you behave god's love towards you is unconditional right all of us will be in heaven together one day regardless of it we're all imperfect together. yeah we're all
0: imperfect it's like we can't help it and we, god understands that he knows that we
1: are dust and then you that. have the more the, the the modern day fundamentalists who say you have to do this you're being a Christian looks like not seeing R rated movies That's and right. not doing this and not doing this and not doing this, and they're known for their hatred and how insular they are. Mm-hmm. And, but like there's actually a third option that we are only hinted at in the Old Testament. Right. That's only given us to in Jesus. If we're if the condition the is either unconditional, we'll become liberals. Yeah. If it's only conditional, we become Pharisees. Right. But the if gospel
0: it's actually conditional and actually unconditional
1: we're waiting for somebody to fulfill it for us <laughs> yes. to do both right we're waiting for jesus to do what we can't do mm. and to give to us what we were supposed to do yeah we're waiting for the cross of jesus christ to free us from both the excesses of liberalism mm-hmm. and fundamentalism right we're waiting for a new way to live yeah
0: and this is totally teased um in the next at the end of the next chapter um after the the ten commandments are given um there is an altar Put up at the foot of Mount Sinai and in order for people to come on and off the mountain to, to approach God even Moses like they have to offer this sacrifice like there is already this um, substitution language being used that like you can't uphold this covenant perfectly you aren't doing everything right you aren't meeting the conditions so we have to solve this another way. And uh, yeah, I think we, they're waiting on this Messiah to come. Which, w- In order
1: know. for us to receive unconditional love, there needs to be a conditional sacrifice. Mm. Somebody needs to pay yes. the penalty for doing the wrong thing. and also has to do the right thing in That's the right. conditional sacrifice. That's why so, it's actually conditional. But right. the crazy news of Jesus Christ is that we get the unconditional hesed love of God mm. because Jesus Christ fulfills all the conditions for us.
0: Okay, so we've talked about the um, unconditional conditional covenant, and how um, it's actually a conditional covenant, but those conditions can't be met by us because we're constantly sinful, and so we are waiting for the one to keep those conditions. And that one is Christ, and so we get unconditional. love. We get unconditional love in return that we right. don't deserve, and so the whole throughout the whole Old Testament, there's this tension that we talked about of people going like. Are these conditions going to be met? Through whom are they going to be met? Is God going to be able to uh, be faithful and love us and save us since we have broken his covenant? And then we get to Jesus and the answer is yes. So now I want to look at, okay, so why is God making this covenant with his people at all? Like, why does this covenant exist? You know, what's God after here? Um, What's his reasoning? And he says that, I'm going to make this covenant with you for some specific reasons. He says that, so that... Out of the whole earth, he says, the whole earth is mine. And out of this whole earth, out of the, all the cosmos that I possess, you, Israel, are going to be my treasured possession. I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. I'm going to make you a holy nation. I will be your God. You will be my people, and I will dwell with you. So you have this is why God is doing what he's doing. Um, and so there, there feels like there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> um, so first, we should just go ahead and lean on peter here and let yeah. peter help us because um there's no reason to just try to shoot in the dark here uh first peter 2 9 quotes this uh this exactly uh he talks about how uh in christ we are a holy nation a treasured possession uh, a, a royal priesthood all these things that god said israel would be now he says that we are this in christ so um which one do you want to tackle first, Seth? Let's talk about let's, let's talk about each of these.
1: Let's talk about. We talked about priests a lot last week, so let's start with That's the holy true. nation.
0: Okay, <laughs> holy nation. So, uh, holy nation. I would say is probably a throwback to God's promise, prom- prom- promise? promise to Abraham when He says that um, I will make you into a great nation, right? right? And then through you, all nations will be blessed. And so we'll 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 learn very soon in Leviticus that things that are holy. When they go out and touch other things, they make other things holy, and so like that's how holiness works. No, uh, the opposite. Uh, no, it's uh, it depends on the level of holiness. So the sin atonement of like the lamb, the sin atoning lamb, if its blood gets spurted out and lands on an object, that object is made holy. So much so that if like it gets on your robes, you have to. Your, your robes are made holy and you have to wash off the holy blood. And if you wash it off in an earthen vessel, that earthen vessel is holy. So you have to smash the vessel or else the holiness will just keep spreading. And so it's pretty crazy. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Now, a de- now, something that is defiled can make a neutral object defiled, but holiness cannot be defiled. Oh, weird. Yeah, anyway, there, we'll get into that when we talk about Leviticus. But what the picture is here of a holy nation is it's of this great nation that God promised that he would make Abraham. And as this nation goes around the world and spreads being fruitful and multiplying, they would everything they would touch would become like God, and his glory would cover the face of the earth as waters cover the sea. That's the picture of the holy nation.
1: Right. And what happens is that in Christ that's expanded not just to be one particular people, people group, group. Yeah. but all people groups. So yes. th- the Great Commission picks up on this that's and right. it says go therefore and make disciples. All authorities on a heaven and earth is to give to me, right. Jesus. Therefore go and make disciples of all All nations. nations. So there it is again. And so the way that God's covenant blessing continues isn't through procreation, but through the gospel.
0: Right. Sharing the gospel is the new promised seed.
1: Making disciples. Right.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, So uh, what about this treasured possession thing out of the whole earth? This is very interesting uh, that God chose Israel out of everyone, out of everything, God chose humans. And out of the humans, he chose Israel, even though they were doubting all the way and fighting all the way. I think this goes back to um, what we talked about, how God makes his promises and his unconditional covenant. And he, and he, he does this before Israel has done anything to earn it. And so um, there's, this, there's this idea. It's a really controversial term for a lot of people, but it's this idea of monergism, this idea that in the Salvation Act, God is the only actor.
1: God does everything. God
0: does everything. And so um, here we, we see that since Israel is God's chosen possession, God did not save Israel from Egypt and do all these things like hoping against hope that it would be enough to create the people that he wanted to
1: create. Like Yeah, and isn't it? In numbers, where he says, "Like I didn't choose you because you were awesome. That's right. I chose you because, because you, you were the worst. The worst. I chose you because <laughs> you were the smallest. Yeah, yeah. And if you were gonna, if you succeeded, everyone would know. Like it that was, was a, me. That was impossible yeah. for you to do. It That's would, right. It could only been because I acted. That's right. Alone yes. through you. And so
0: it's really important that we know about this treasured possession thing, because because God chose Israel, we know that He will be faithful to His unconditional covenant." Because if he was just throwing his covenant to the world, waiting for someone to obey it, he'd be waiting with bated breath for all eternity. But if God said, I will choose you and I will pursue you throughout all the ages, I will make you my treasured possession of my holy nation, okay, regardless wait. of your failings. So you're saying failings.
1: it's better that God chose one nation rather than all nations.
0: Um, is so, Well, that's difficult. It's better because God did it. Right. I, I can't tell you why it would be better or why God chose to well, do it.
1: Well, it seemed like you were pushing like, like this is like... This is, there's a benefit and there's a joy and there's a security in God choosing one particular people rather than making his covenant available to all people. And so I just. Oh, I see. Dude, is, you are saying that. I was like, man, like most of the people I interact with said, no, what was most loving would be for all people to experience God's covenant right. faithfulness yeah. without discrimination yeah. without like specialization without specific like making it specific right so like, how okay, let's just say like no 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 god would be more loving if everyone could so like you just said the opposite of this I so, did. so so if somebody comes up to you non-christian friend christian yeah. friend whoever and they say how is no god would be most loving if he allowed his covenant to be experienced by the entire ancient world mm-hmm. and israel would have been said yes we'll be the ones that do it
0: Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. So the the problem with that is we see time and time again in the Exodus story that we've been walking through that Israel says, no, they don't want to go with this God. They want to go back to Egypt. They refuse this covenant. They break this covenant. They don't want to be near this mighty God on the mountain. At every turn of the page, Israel is running away. And so this is just the truth that when holiness and goodness comes into sinful world, we scatter like roaches when a light turns on. Like, And so if God made a blanket covenant with the whole world, and I, one, how would he communicate that? Like how would he enter into space and time and history and actually do that? We don't know because that's not how he chose to operate. But two, even if he did and, and, and made that available to everybody, I think we see in Israel as a microcosm of all of humanity, we see that even if he would have extended it to us, everyone would have said no everyone would have broken it. And this is what we call like the fall. This is original sin. This is no one would accept God unless God brought him to them. Like he brings, he brings himself to us and opens our hearts to actually accept
1: him. So, right. yeah. And besides that, if God is not doing the choosing of a particular people, mm. it's, then he's just waiting for our response. Right. It does feel more transactional. It does. It feels more conditional, feels more like a business partnership. Right. I'm waiting for you to move. That's right. At some point. I, before I try to love
0: you. Yeah. At some point, we've done something to earn this relationship. Like, you know, well, the covenant was for everybody and I was just smarter or more humble right. or more quick to act. Or, you know, I saw the, the blue light special sale and I ran up, you know, I got to right. Walmart first and beat everybody.
1: So to, to my like, to my non-Christian friend who's yeah. saying, no, no, I want, I, God needs to be loving to everyone simultaneously all right. the time. Your response would be, okay, w- do you really want someone to love you only because you've done enough things for them? Right. Wouldn't it be more loving for somebody to look at you, to see your flaws, to see your imperfections, say, I will love you, I'll pay your debts, I'll make sure you make it through college, not because you've done anything, but simply because I love you right. and you're mine. Yeah. And I want you to respond in kind. Like that's that's what you're saying. Like Yes. Yeah. Like it that's is. what's happening here and, in Israel.
0: And I would also say to this hypothetical non Christian friend that God is also doing what you want him to do. You're saying you want him to offer his covenant to all people. That's why he chose Israel and made them a holy nation, so that he could extend the covenant to all people. And that's what we get in Jesus. That in Jesus we don't we also don't have God dying on the cross, hoping against hope that it's a good enough story to convince people to love him. We have God dying on the cross for his chosen people again. Like I said in 1 Peter 2 9, we are now his treasured possession, his chosen people. And we have Jesus dying on the cross to save us, and he turns us into this holy nation that goes out into the whole world, begging them, as Second Corinthians says, be reconciled to God. And so what your non-Christian friend wants is actually true, because in Christ and through the church, all people have access to this saving covenant of Jesus. I mean, I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think I just got saved again. Okay, good. That's, that's good. That's my job here. I've been trying to convert you for a long time. So. so we just asked a question. Our culture pretty much believes that God is love mm-hmm. and love is best shown when all people are given God's love indiscriminately right. if they... Meet the conditions. Right. If they just say, yes, I'll sign up for that. I'll sign up for that. Right. But the problem with that is, it's actually what we're saying is like, yes, God is love, but it's actually more loving for God to love one people group without conditions and conditions at the same time, but without conditions, uh, so that everyone in the entire world can experience God's grace. And it's only through particular love, despite the people, despite what you're like, despite your sins, despite your flaws that actually is the most loving thing. Yes. We'd rather have somebody love us with all of our flaws. Right. than someone wait for us to be worthy of love,
0: right? I mean, what what do we think is more loving? Someone who who kind of says like, "You know what? I got a lot of love to give, so I don't I just don't really I'm not really into the institution of marriage. I just got a lot of love to give." And so what you actually get from that is a guy who goes around sleeping around with a bunch of different women. Compare or, him to yeah. a committed loving caring father and husband who is faithful to his wife for 60 years and dies who would you say is showing more love the guy who spreads his quote-unquote love around to a bunch of people indiscriminately or someone who commits deeply to a particular person
1: it's the one where there's law and love law and love law The covenant. and love
0: yeah it's why it, go- it goes back to marriage and marriage yeah. is particular it's not yeah. universal you don't marry everybody you marry someone
1: And that's special for that relationship yes and it's a picture of what true love is like yes for everyone around that's right so we have a category for that that's true love and what's
0: amazing is when god makes this marriage covenant with israel in christ whenever it becomes for all people like and that was always god's plan you know in abraham you know all nations will be blessed through this specific covenant with you and your household abraham that's always been god's plan but God did it through a specific people so we could see what does it look like when God marries himself to a people group? Like, that is a beautiful picture because ultimately that's a picture of the church, right? Like, we are the new Israel. And so now we are the bride of Christ and we got that picture in Israel. And it's a communal body. Okay, let's move on. So next we get the crazy theophany, which that's that's the $10 word for God showing up. Uh, only ten dollars. It's only ten bucks. It's on sale this week. Theophany. <laughs> no. usually usually it's fourteen ninety
1: nine. The uh, well the spoken body. W- <laughs> blah, 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 what what was that? The spoken gospel podcast. <laughs> is the, only the spoken $10. gospel
0: podcast is free. <laughs> <It's> free. <laughs> um, okay, but do leave us a review. Because, but do leave us a review because that would be quick nice. plug. <laughs> quick plug. Do that because it <laughs> well, helps us. Yes. Uh, okay. So now uh, we get to God showing up on the mountain. It, it talks about God. Descending on the mountain in this thick dark cloud, Uh, there's lightning and there's thunder and there's fire. It's loud. It's bright. It's ominous. It's terrifying. It's powerful. It's awe-inspiring. Yahweh the I am who Moses met in the burning bush is now on Mount Sinai as he promised he would be and his voice is booming thundering out from the mountain and here's why he does this here's why he puts on such a light show he he tells Moses I'm going to show up and I'm going to speak to my people so that they might believe me forever like that's why God shows up in this way. Like it's amazing. He's like, I don't, I don't want there to be any doubt that Yahweh is the only God, because no one else could do this. And so he shows up, he speaks to his people, and I mean, it's a testament that to the fact that this account, like, is still in our hands today. Like, it survived, and it has a people group with a story that said yeah my great great grandfather was at mount sinai and did see these things and then like it's carried on throughout the old testament and we keep going back to this moment when god showed up on the mountain and it's carried through until it's met in its ultimate climax in jesus and what we see is in jesus on the mount of transfiguration we get this picture that jesus cross? oh not yet not yet a different mountain it's a different mountain not yet because first we have to know that Jesus is this Yahweh. We have to know that. And that's what the mount of transfiguration does for us. And, and Moses shows up. He's there. And Elijah oh, shows up thought, and he's there. I, yeah. I really haven't thought about that. And so God, or Jesus is is transfigured into this picture of God on Mount Sinai with all his glory and all his splendor. And, and uh, Peter wants to set up a tent just like the Israelites did at the foot of Mount Sinai. He was like, we, we're back at Mount Sinai. Here we are. Isn't it good for us to stay here like, like our ancestors did in Mount Sinai? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I've got to go to the other mountain. Like the Yahweh that came down in all his power on Mount Sinai now has to go to Mount Calvary to fulfill the conditions of the covenant that God made at Mount Sinai.
1: That's crazy. Cool. And then I just I mean, then now I'm having flash forwards. Ooh, flash forwards. (laughs) JJ Abrams. (laughs) (laughs) Any other Lost fans? Oh my goodness. I love Lost. Oh gosh. Like every week for nine years. How long did it go? (laughs) But like flash forward. Flash forward. To Acts Two, where fire descends. Oh dang. Yeah. And like the people and the people proclaim the gospel for what purpose? To spread the lord's covenant throughout the multiple, world to people groups different people like, groups and what is the proof that the that god is present that fi- like that fire has fallen yep. miracles are being done the lord is speaking yep. from the flames yet again wow and his tent is us yes like we are the tent where he
0: dwells right and then flash forward again more flash forwards <laughs> and you get to the the end when when god actually comes and makes the whole earth a mount sinai that he dwells upon and he comes and he dwells with us and we get to live in that bright glorious awe-inspiring presence hearing the voice of god firsthand for all eternity man on mount zion that's
1: awesome it's amazing that's amazing
0: yeah so that's really cool um man that just makes me sad. i wish we could end there but we have to do one more we, thing we can we can't we can't no there's no there's one more thing we have to talk about okay it's that there god is very particular about no one coming on this mountain unless God breaks out against them and they die. So sharp turn away from happy things. Happy things that <laughs> God speaks to us forever Yay. until you die. You die.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is why I didn't want to talk about yes. it. I know,
0: but the Bible talks about it, so we have to talk about it. So um, yeah, God says, uh, Moses, I want you to put up this barrier around Mount Sinai before I descend, uh, lest anyone come up to the mountain, get too close, touch it, and I and they die. And there's two ways that in this text that they said that that they could die. One is God says I would break out against them, so God would actually actively do the killing. Or in order to pre- prevent that, He says that if anyone gets close to the mountain, stone them. Like don't let them. Oh yeah, I forgot like, about that. You yeah. guys stop him. You guys do the do the job. Uh, and and that's kind of a foreshadowing of what happens later, whenever uh, Moses and the Levites carry out the justice of God. Um, after the Golden Calf. We'll see that later. That it also
1: says stoned or shot. Or shot, yeah.
0: Which <laughs> is like, like, they just pull out their semi-automatics. and <laughs> no, it's, I think it's bows and arrows, but you know. I was also thinking slingshots. Slingshots. Oh, and that's a... Have you seen those YouTube videos? What YouTube videos?
1: <laughs> People like who recreated like the sling, ancient slingshots. No. and like are take are they yeah. intense? Oh, so intense. Like they... These things go up to like 80, 90 miles an what? hour, and they'll like explode watermelons.
0: No. YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. I wanna see that. Can we put a link in the description? <laughs> we <to> should.
1: <laughs> it's like, Mount Sinai and exploding watermelons, episode 14. Episode... <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> okay,
0: uh, so, Seth, let's let me. Uh, you asked me a hard question earlier that I had to scramble for an answer, so it's my turn. Why? These really
1: are unscripted, by the way. Yeah, we I know. Do. <laughs> I don't think people know that.
0: Yeah, we each, do, we each study, and we each come with kind of our own little notes, but then as it unfolds, it's completely unscripted. So here's my question to you. You asked me about conditional and conditional election, or not election, sorry, that's a Freudian slip. Conditional versus unconditional covenant. Um, let me ask you this. Why would someone die if they touched the mountain?
1: Because. Because why? <laughs> because there's... The best way I've heard it described is that God is holy. Yep. And we are not. Yeah. And God's holiness isn't a bad thing. That's no. not why we're destroyed. Yes. But it's because it's so good that it destroys us. Right. And we're not that way. So the best ex- example I've heard is like the sun. Yes. The sun is really, really good. Good. Yeah. It makes life possible on Earth. It's unique, which is the the, the word holy the word, the, the word holy in our solar system and it's amazing. But also if you don't if you approach it improperly, you'll be burned up. Right. Not because it's bad, no. but because it's so good, so unique, and so powerful. Right. And so what's happening here is that same dynamic. Something good, unique, powerful, and life-giving is descending on this mountain and you cannot come near it right. unprepared. That's right.
0: And and so the way I described it, not to not to do a shameless plug here, but the way I described it in my first book, When God Isn't There, is like plastic out, outlet caps, you know, those yeah. little like out, you know, the electrical outlet, and there's those little plastic caps you put in to keep your kids from sticking forks into them. Um, electricity is a good thing, right? Right. Um, but, you know, a, a concerned parent will put these electrical caps on the outlets um, because the kids don't know how to approach electricity properly. And so they'll shove forks and nails right. and things into these sockets, and that's harmful to them. And so to put a barrier, in you don't even know what electricity they don't is, even know what electricity is, which is
1: probably more like us. We don't even know what holiness, holiness is. is. We don't know right. what God is. That's exactly yeah. right.
0: They're just meeting Yahweh, right? And so, and so, the barrier of the plastic outlet cap is grace, because God is saying, "I want you to live. I want life for you." I want to give you I my life. I want to life. give you my life, yeah. but it's got to go in a certain way because you are so sinful and I am so holy. We have to go about this a certain way, which is what we'll get to in Leviticus. It's what's coming next is how sinfulness and God's holiness can dwell together. But that problem hasn't been fixed yet. And so he said, I want life for you. So Moses, put up a barrier, put those electrical outlet caps up so I can keep my people alive. <laughs> like, I want this relationship to work, but it's got to work a certain way because I am so good and you are so bad. <laughs> and so... I've got to fix this relationship before we can move forward, before you can come and dwell on this mountain. Um, and so, I mean, so, okay, let, let me ask you this question then. So as we close here, how do we see Jesus in this, in this mountain you can't touch, in this holy God who if you got close to him, you would die? How does Jesus solve this problem for us?
1: I think it would be helpful to fast forward at the very end of the book of Exodus, okay, where this problem still exists, yep. but what? God wants is for the problem not to exist. He mm-hmm. wants to dwell with his people. Right. He has Moses build this beautiful tabernacle where he is supposed to be able to meet with Moses and Moses walks up to the tabernacle, ready to walk into the presence of the Lord and he can't. Right. The book of Exodus ends with the people of God being unable to be near God. Yep. And ex-Leviticus begins the same way. Moses couldn't walk into the tabernacle therefore. And we have a whole list of sacrifices and offerings. And then the book of Leviticus ends with Moses finally being entered, given access Mm -hmm. to God's presence. So where does Jesus here? How do we get into God's presence? We're waiting for a sacrifice to bridge the gap between God's holiness and our unholiness, Mm -hmm. his uniqueness and our commonness. And we're waiting for someone to bridge the gap. And we've been told, really, the only way that happens is through somebody sacrificing something right and someone fulfilling this covenant perfectly
0: yes right so meeting all the conditions of the covenant
1: right and which is part of the reason why animals didn't cut it like animals right. can't fulfill they the covenant can. they're not people they're not people right they they were a way in which they were more electrical caps. Yes. They were more ways more for us. More barriers. More barriers right. so that God, we could get closer to God mm-hmm. and not be killed, right. but we still weren't as close to God as we could be. That's right. We weren't in his presence. And we needed yeah. someone to fulfill the covenant perfectly.
0: So that he could be our God, we could be his people. Exactly. And, with him and
1: why he could live inside of us and his Holy Spirit could descend on us like fire and then we'd, the gospel would make a holy nation out of the entire world.
0: Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We'd like to remind you that my new book, Rewire Your Heart, Replace Your Desire for Sin with Desire for God, is coming out October 30th. Pre-orders are now available from your favorite retailer. And for all the information, for special offers, for group discussion guides, journal prompts, free chapters, and more, you can visit rewireyourheartbook.com. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture in every corner of the world. To learn more about the ministry of Spoken Gospel and to view more of our resources, visit
1: SpokenGospel.com.